listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances podcast. As always, my name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast, and I am so, so close. Well, it's just actually the next episode, but I'm so close to have been doing this for a year. So one, I'd like to thank everyone. Uh, I'll thank you more next episode when I actually make it. But episode 51, here we are, one more to 52, and I have a new topic for you. Decided by the cards, as I've been doing recently, I let the tarot deck just kind of, uh, you know, figure out what I'm supposed to talk about. And then I talk about it, I just ramble on, and apparently you listen. So again, thank you. But uh, today's today's a big topic. I have shied away from this topic in the past. I've mixed it in, I've sprinkled it here and there. I've, you know, thrown some salt on the, on the food, seasoned it up a little bit here and there, but... I feel like this is the time to jump right into it. In fact, actually, these cards threw me for a loop when you know they started coming out. It didn't all quite make sense. I was like, "Where, where is this going?" Um, as has happened in the past, but this one, I had like lined up a whole nother thing I was going to talk about. I had a whole nother word to define for you, and then I was like, "Wait a minute, this is all leading down the road of something I've studied uh, pretty much my entire life." It's something I usually don't talk about either. Uh, this this topic for today is something I've studied for a very, very long time that I usually keep completely secret. Even with people who ha- know me or people who know like a bit about me, you know, they were like, oh, you know, he knows some things or, he, you know, he's interested. No, no, I have studied the following. Uh, today's topic is brought to you by the word magic. And I don't care how you want to spell it, M-A-G-I-C, M-I-G-C-G-I-C-K, that's the Aleister Crowley spelling, Uh, but the word magic. And the word magic has a lot to unpack here. There's a lot going on, but it's magic. So let's start with the definition, right? That's what we usually do. And I'm going to start with the definition, and then I'm going to go into the cards and how I got to this idea, uh, because it was kind of interesting, I thought. So first... Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the definition for magic. Well, multiple definitions for magic. It's a noun. It's also an adjective. We'll do both definitions. Uh, It's a verb, too. We'll get into all of it. So magic, uh, the definitions here are the use of means, such as charms or spells, believed to have supernatural power over natural forces. There's some important words there we're going to unpack a little later. Uh, There's magic rites or incantations. Okay, Uh, we'll unpack that as well. An extraordinary power or influence seemingly from a supernatural source, something that seems to cast a spell, also known as an enchantment. That's another part of magic. The art of producing illusions by sleight of hand, the action of performing magic. Adjective definition of or relating to magic. Okay, having seemingly supernatural qualities or powers, giving a feeling of enchantment. We, you know, that's both of the nouns kind of things thrown into an adjective there. The verb to produce, remove, or influence by magic. So what is magic? Well, first, before we get into that, let me go into the cards that got me here. Because they were kind of magical, if you will. 
the first card I picked was the King of Swords. Now, the King of Swords uh, represents a specific, a specific um, pensivity, if you will. The King of Swords is a master of words and inflection and reflection and this um, almost stoic nature, if you will. The King of Swords knows words are very powerful. And that's an important piece to this topic uh, because the beginnings of magic is language. And this is why I'm so adamant about the words being the focus here, the definitions, the ideas, the, the, the representation, the feelings, everything that goes along with a word and what it can mean is what is super important to me because it's magic. Keep that in mind as we go through the things we're going to talk about today. So again, back to the King of Swords. A very pensive individual, a very stoic individual, an individual who knows how powerful words are and thus will shock everyone and actually piss everyone off with how silent they can be because they want to make sure they use the right words, the right vernacular, the right vocabulary, the right sentence structure. They want to put it all together perfectly before they even open their mouth. And then when they do, it's very important because now they are speaking. So it's that type of, of pensivity that goes into the knight, the King of Swords. And with that comes the idea of, of not only just picking out words carefully, but making sure you have all of the pieces in front of you. Do I have all the information? Do I have all the, all of the, uh, the recollections? Do I have, do I have everything I need to then speak? It's being very, very focused on that idea so much so that you might forget about, and the King of Swords can be often uh, blamed for being forgetful of feelings and others, people's sensitivities and, not paying attention so much to what people might take from their words, but making sure they're representing themselves in their words. So other people might get hurt. Other people might take it the wrong way. The connotation may destroy the structure. Now, maybe, you know, you know, I'm very King of Swordsy, I guess you could say. I, I, I like to take the connotation out of things so that I don't have to worry about what people feel or, or get from what I say. If I was looking to make someone feel a certain way, I do that in my oratorial practice. I do that when I was doing public speaking. I will motivate using choice vocabulary. I will motivate using choice examples and, and anecdotal stories and to rile someone up that way. I'll play devil's advocate sometimes. The King of Swords is someone who's capable of that. They just sometimes don't care. You know, like, well, whatever you feel, you feel like, oh, well, but this is what I mean. And I'm going to say what I mean. Next up, the judgment card. Big card, major arcana here. The judgment card represents the point at which the fool on in their journey realizes that there is something bigger than them. There is maybe a grand plan. Maybe there's an outside force or influence. Maybe there is this thing known as spirituality. Maybe there is something bigger. The judgment card is kind of that representation. It's not so much being judged. It's the understanding of, oh, I might be judged by something much bigger than me. I should pay attention to my actions. I should mean what I say. Back to the King of Swords here. From there, the Ace of Wands. The Ace of Wands threw me for a loop. I was like, what is this doing here? How did this card come up? What, what's going on here? The Ace of Wands is a representation of a gift. 
it is the universe or something else telling you like, yeah, shoot your shot, go for it, do it. It's, you know, it's the Nike, it's the, it's the Gary Vaynerchuk even, you know, it's that, yeah, go right ahead. Now's your time. Do it. Just, just go for it. You, you have, you have the power, the drive, the motivation. It's all here. It's all lining up. It is the ace of wands. It's here's the wand, make the magic happen. That's, that's, so I was like, wait a minute. That doesn't really make a lot of sense here. You know, we're talking about pensivity and, and choice of words and, and making things, making sure we take in all the other information and then the, the judgment of, yes, there's more going on here. Maybe I should represent that in myself. I should represent like, oh, I, I have this feeling of, you know, maybe I am drawn to do a bigger purpose or maybe there is just things that are bigger than me. Having that kind of understanding that there is more to life maybe in that sense. And then the Ace of Wands coming through and saying like, go for it, do it. What is that moment? That moment's what we call magic. And then finally, I drew the Wheel of Fortune. And this was kind of, I didn't really think I, you know, at that point, once I got those three cards down and the idea of magic came into my mind, I was like, hey, maybe I'm good here. And actually, when I was shuffling through, uh, this is something I don't usually do, but I wanted to make mention of it. A couple other cards popped out. They just didn't feel right. They were just kind of like cards that had like, oddly enough, they are cards that have come up in other episodes that I'm like, no, that doesn't fit here. Like these are like just, it was kind of this representation of like, yeah, here's magic. Here's, you know, like out of all the odds here of the deck, here's some cards that came up before and the representations of, you know, other episodes that had something to do with us a little bit. And we'll get into that here in a second, but the wheel of fortune is a representation of, um, you know, the wheel forever turns, but there's also a representation of, yeah, like there is some, maybe I don't want to say grand scheme. That's not the way to put it. Uh, it's more so of there's, what are the patterns? What is the cycle? What is the, the experience of that cycle, what's the possible outcomes, what control structures are in place that you might need to be aware of or not aware of, um, are you paying attention? That's kind of what the Wheel of Fortune card is asking us. Are you paying attention and taking control a little bit? Are you just letting these cycles happen to you over and over again? Or are you paying attention and taking control? This is a very important thing when we talk about the study, the history of what we call, what we deem magic or magical. So now that I've gotten the cards out of the way, um, as important as they are, they're not our major topic. They are in them of themselves a form of a magic, but let's talk about it. What is magic? What's, the, what's this thing we call magic? You know, we've represented all sorts of stuff. Swords and sorceries, dungeons and dragons, um, fantasy. Uh, you know, we, we, we see it on stage at, at events that are, you know, oh, this magical performer or, or sleight of hand tricks in front of our face. But what is what is the representation of magic? Where does it come from? Magic comes from the unknown. Magic comes from the big questions of life. Magic comes from a place that I think humanity has always had. A void, if you will. Magic is a principle of existence. If there was no magic, I don't think we would be who we are. 
because magic is a broad topic here. Magic has been pigeonholed in more modern society into, you know, like, oh, it's just whimsical whateverness. It's, um, it's, you know, that thing those weird pagan kids practice. It's those, that weird Wiccan cult, you know, over in the corner. They're not a cult, by the way. There are cults, but they're not one of them. Uh, the Wiccan nature is not a, not a cult per se. Um, but yeah, there's these like weird Wiccan people. So it's been pigeonholed into like this, oh, people believe in vampires and werewolves and it's only in books. And I'm here to tell you, that's not true. We've always, throughout the history of humanity, had an attachment to magic. It is what explained the unexplainable. It is, it is miracle by nature. They just change the words. In fact, a miracle, an act of a divine nature, would be considered magical. It actually was considered magical. A divine individual was of the nature of magic. They could perform and control nature. Right back to, we're going to go right back into the definitions here. The use of means, such as charms or spells, believed to have supernatural power over natural forces. Gods or God, whatever you want to believe in, were magical beings. They were magical, you know, they were magical by definition. They had control over the natural forces of the known world and the unknown world to boot. Angels, magical. Gods, magical. Uh, spirits, magical. That's a big topic right there. Let's jump into that. I'm going to jump all over the place. I'm going to, we're going to be everywhere. We're a kaleidoscope today. Um, I want to cross. I want to. I want to cross over a bridge real quick, just to kind of get us into this idea of how intrinsic magic is to our societies. And I'm going to use the Japanese culture because it's one of my favorite cultures. Um, something I've when I started my study in magic, I always loved the Shinto Buddhism uh, works of you know how they believed in everything had a spirit, and then the, this whole idea that the Japanese culture carries in their ancient past in modern society too, of these, the spirit realm, you know, the Chinese culture has something very similar, but something about me just is drawn to the Japanese culture in that way. So we have this word spirit. It's a big, that's a big one in and of itself. This, this, this episode was almost about spirit and soul and that idea. But I think these were too nuanced for me to get into right now. Not nuanced. That's a bad, I think they were, Maybe too important is a better word for that nuance. Nuance important, whatever. Um, but real quick, the definition of spirit, top line, an animating or vital principle held to give life to physical organisms. That's great. A supernatural being or essence, such as the Holy Spirit, such as a soul, such as a ghost, such as a malevolent being that enters the possession of all human beings. You know, a temper or disposition of mind or outlook, especially when vigorous or animated spirits spirit in that sense is very encompassing. So if we, if we come back to this idea of magic, I want to jump over to um, a word in the Japanese language known as uh, uh, I'm going to get this a little bit wrong. Cause my Japanese is not that great, but uh Kurodama Kurodama is a belief in the mystical powers uh, that dwell in a word, that names have vital meaning, that words control 
that words have power. It's the power of language. It's the spirit of language. Uh, it's the power of words. It's magical words, um, sacred sounds. And there's a huge mythology that goes uh, with uh, Kodadama. Um, it, it's, it's super, it's super nuanced and it's super in depth, but when I first came about this, um, I was talking, I was reading about, um, Susano and Amaterasu. Um, these are, uh, sibling gods in, in the Shinto, uh, mythologies and, and belief structures. Um, also the Kukugaku, um, uh, but this, this idea of Kororamo also has to do with the Japanese arts. Um, so in Aikido, in, um, let me, let me jump. I'm, I'm like, my mind is like going like a billion miles a second here. Uh, let's jump back. Me, martial arts. I've talked about it many times in this podcast, huge background. With my martial arts practice came this idea of looking for the um, the extra, the other. And in studying that, I came across the works, or not, I can't even call it works. It's a, it's a full on history of a people um, in Japanese history who I believe still exists today. I, I don't know what the lineages are now, but uh, known as the Oesugi. The Oesugi were warrior monks, essentially, warrior monks and nuns, a warrior people of spiritual nature. They believe in Shinto Buddhism, they practice Shinto Buddhism, and they practice along with their martial practices. And with this idea of Kodadama, they had words of power, if you will. And that idea of practice from the Uesugi moves into the modern practice of other versions of their practices. So we have karate, which there's many schools of. Um, there's you know Ishinryo, um, all sorts of different schools of thought. That's what I'm looking for. Schools of thought, right? Of how to practice, where to practice. You know, you get into Miyasashi's Five Rings, and he even talks about the power of words, and he breaks them down into specific, like something like, um, is it Mayo? for, I'm going to get this wrong. I'm not even going to try to quote it, but essentially words for like courage and, 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 and what builds a warrior, the words that would define and build a warrior. So throughout all of that, I find this overarching principle of there's words of power. And also with that, there's these sounds that go into, you know, the, and what that actually does and means in the body inside the practice of martial arts, we have these vocal movements. Some are non-vocal, some are a breathing pattern, or there's just this extra piece that I was always trying to find. It was the magic of the martialism. What made a martial artist into a martialist was these pieces, these deep rooted understandings of magic, of other power, something that controlled more than just 
just the willfulness of the person. Even in that, willpower became something magical, became something other. You know, there are many stories, and yeah, they could just be stories of moments where fatal blows were dealt, but yet the warrior still persisted to fight. Um, many stories come out of the Japanese era um, of the end of the samurai period where guns essentially um, were taking over Japan, the, the, the act of using a, a, a firearm weapon. Um, you know, we talk about Nobunaga and that whole time period and, and, you know, his fight with Yamamoto and just the warring states period essentially. But Nobunaga brings or is the representation of bringing guns to the Japanese army. And then that progresses into what becomes the modernization period where the ways of the samurai are not disappearing, they're changing, but there's those who stand and hold the, the ground of the traditional methodology of fighting with a sword, the honor, the courage, all of these words that Mayu might be honor. I don't remember. Anyway, um, again, my brain is all over the place with this one. But these, these ideas, which become ideologies, which become traditions, are the power of words, the power of language. They are magic. The haiku itself is a magical representation of syllabic poetry. Haikus are magical by nature. That's why it's so important when producing a haiku to focus on not just the syllable, but the word choice. And the Japanese language is structured that a word can be used that has a meaning that might be taken differently, but has like a, a tradition to it. Has a, you know, you can use, there's, there's a, like almost like a level of, it's kind of like, you know, when we talk about in the English language, we talk about slang and we talk about, you know, but there is like a traditional, we have like old English. Think about it that way. Like there's a, they might use a word that brings about a representation of an era. And that era had an idea behind it, an ideology, a, tra a tradition. So when we think about that way, that's Kodadama. That is, you know, at least my understanding of it and the way it came on to me was the power of words, the powers of language. And the, even like down to like the way the words are put together, the way they're organized means something. And so when I learned that, I was beginning to learn, oh, there's something to this language thing. There's also something to this this other set of powers because in, you know, the Christian communities and the Abrahamic religion communities, there's this idea of prayer and that's where, you know, the words have power there. There are the mantras from the different cultures that use mantras everywhere from Buddhism to Hinduism, to uh, Jainism, to um, just general new age thinking. I guess you can add that in there too. Um, there's this idea of mantras and, there is another word that I'm missing and I'm lacking because I'm drugs just everywhere right now. Uh, there's another thing beyond mantras. There's, um, oh, I can't think of it. I apologize. It's a, a, a 
as mantras are sets of words, but a mantra can be an individual word, but they hold power and they hold meaning. Uh, we use them as affirmations in today's modern, more modern Western society. There's this idea of affirmations and what those mean. Affirmations are magic. Mantras are magic. Kodama, magic. Prayer, magic. It's, an, it's, it's weaved everywhere into our society. If we go back to the Greek culture, the oration of the mythologies, the oration of the stories of Pericles, of Hercules, of the gods, of the telling of just that idea, the telling of the stories of the gods in any pantheon, be it Egyptian, Nordic, um, Greek, Grecian, uh, Roman, just the stories of the gods were magic. The way they were said, the way they were told, it's a combination of all these things that builds this idea of magic. So vocabulary is very important. Words are very important. What makes them that way? It is this idea of magic because words are what allow us to control nature. We can define, we can understand, we can share with others. How magical is that idea that someone can write words or speak words or even do nonverbal action and share culture, history, understanding, feelings, emotions. That's a magical idea. We often take ourselves out of the picture, right? We do this. I talked last episode about the, the ego, the ego episode, how we like to take our, we remove ourselves from the picture. Like somehow we are, not of this world, not a part of nature itself. We are, we are a part of nature. We, we breathe just that idea of all these billions of humans breathing out, taking in oxygen and providing out carbon dioxide or a carbon, you know, part, putting out carbon dioxide. So the plants, the biosphere can take that and use it, you know, so plants can be like, Oh, Hey, look, all of these mouth breathers giving me stuff to use so I can grow big and healthy. We're a part of nature. If we, if we like it or not, we are. The Druidic orders of um, both the Scottish and Celtic ancient past and into modern society, which are now very much hidden, but they knew this. Many cultures practice this, you know, being a part of nature. Does that mean you need to, and I don't, I don't mean this to be offensive. I, I, it, it sucks that I have to say that, but I really don't mean this to be offensive because you know what? I love me my Wiccans. They're, they're some awesome people. I know many Wiccans. I get along with them very much, but they have a bad rap. So that's why I have to say, I don't mean this to be offensive because I'm using this as like, this is what modern society's evolved idea of theirs is. And it's all bullshit. Like you don't need to, you know, stop shaving and not wear deodorant and, you know, do all that to be one with nature. That's not true. And that representation is just a, a stupid, I can't even call it a stereotype. It's just, um, it's a, it's a, it's a piss poor representation, but whatever. Anyway, we have these cultural representations of people who were more aligned with natural order or nature in itself. You know, we have the druidic orders. We have, um, even the, the, uh, it's not a, it's aristocratic is not the word I'm looking for. That's the kind of opposite, um, priesthoods, many different priesthoods started out very much along the lines of aligned with nature and to have this conversation of magic is so deep and so broad that I've shied away from it because it gets into the history of, 
you know, people like Hermes Trismegusus, the thrice great Hermes, and the writings of Thoth, um, the mystery schools, and the ancient teachings, and what that really means. The answer is it doesn't mean shit, and it also means everything all at the same time. It's because everything's been hidden and locked behind doors, and we have, you know, if you look at Wikipedia, there's ceremonial magic, there's chaos magic, which I'm well versed in, illusionary magic, supernatural magic, you know, medieval magic and understanding, all the cultural representations, and just looking at like ceremonial magic, you know, you get into fucking the Hermetic Order, uh, the Telema, the uh, Renaissance magic. Eliphas Levi, uh, Hermetic Orders, Aleister Crowley, it just goes on and on. And Kenneth Grant, um, so much. There's just so much here. Like, what's a grimoire? What's a magical formula? What? What's you know? It it's never ending. Trust me, I've been studying for a very long time. It's never ending. So, I guess. I have to listen to the cards here, right? I have to listen to the King of Swords. I've kept my mouth shut about this stuff for a very long time. It's actually one of the most... I started talking about this in the beginning. It's one of my most hidden features of me that I've studied this in depth for a very long time, and I've practiced it for a very long time, this understanding of magic and what it is. And the answer there is magic is different for everyone. Magic is hope and dream and it's it's want it's um mystery it's motivation it's it's a driving factor it's a deep understanding of something better it's a a will of its own but also it's this understanding of words and why they're important so let me get into that history real quick in medieval culture, specifically in the European world, we had these people known as witches and sorcerers and wizards, and we had these vocabulary words that, that talked about these individuals. Well, who were they really? It's my understanding that these were the beginning traits of medics, of doctors in their own right, of people who very much understood nature and, you know, leaves of three, let it be. This is where we get these vocabulary pieces from. They understood what plant material was and how plants worked and how plant-based medicine could be used. They also knew the power of words because they dealt with the psyche. These were the first people to understand that there was this thing known as melancholy. It comes from the word melancholia, which I've talked about before, leads to the word depression. These were individuals that knew that, you know, you probably shouldn't fuck with the bear in its cave. It's probably a bad idea. They also knew what rot looked like. They knew what famine looked like. They knew, you know, they were, they were individuals who practiced common sense, if we can call it at that time. But very much so, they knew the power of words. They knew the power of the human mind as well. These are people who were first putting together the pieces of and maybe not even first. I mean, this comes from ancient culture. They were reviving the idea, I should say probably, of the connection between body, mind, and spirit of other. 
animus, whatever that you want to call it. They were the first practitioners of alchemy or some of the practitioners of alchemy. The alchemical understanding of the universe was based in the idea of magic. There was the spirit, spiritual, uh, spiritari amantai, animistai, whatever. I, my Latin's terrible. Essentially the animating spirit that everything had. And if you look at the cultural references here, this is very close to what Shinto Buddhism had with its idea of everything had a spirit. And there is this whole thing as the spirit realm of things. Um, the Chinese culture with their understanding of like, there's a, almost a God for everything and everything has some sort of like, Godhood was an attainable action, if you will, immortality in that sense, uh, even into, you know, the idea with the Hindu pantheon and how we have uh, Krishna and Krishna has many forms is the Godhead, the, the many headed God or, or the, it, it, you know, it, it's very broad, but also very singular. And so with that came the idea of mentality, right? But also spirituality and, and the body. And so we have what we would call witches and wizards and, and sorcerers. Let's talk about what a witch did. In ancient European culture, a witch was a practitioner who made potions. And I know that sounds very cliche, but it's not. It's true. Like they made potions. Well, what was a potion? Using our chemical standards, they would mix ingredients in different ways. They could make a poultice, which a poultice was to crush up herbs and um, other plant fauna to make what's known as a poultice, just crushing it up in the mortar and pestle. And a poultice might be applied to an open wound or to an area of swelling or, so it was, it was just that preparation. Just get the stuff in the, in the mortar and pestle, bash it up so that the essential oils and everything will come out of it and then apply it to something that's a poultice. Well, let's take a poultice one step further. Instead of mashing it all up, maybe we'll mash up a couple things here and there, but we'll break some stuff up and we'll soak that in an alcohol. Now we have what's known as a tincture. Um, and those tinctures had specific, once you crush all this stuff up and put it in alcohol, you have now what's known as a maceration. The maceration is all the crushed up stuff soaked in alcohol. When you soak it for a certain amount of time, it'll produce a, a tincture. If you take that tincture out and you put that on the skin, that's a liniment. Uh, so you can have herbal liniments. If you take that one step further and you evaporate off the alcohol, you now have a, um, I just had it. Um, crap, <laughs> forgetting my alchemy, poultice, liniment, tincture. No, not a tincture. I already said tincture. Uh, see, this is where my mind just blanks on things because I got too much going on up there. <laughs> poultice, liniment, extraction. There we go. Then you have an extraction. This is, you know, essential oils and, and those types of things. So you have all these preparatory, and it goes on from there. Uh, there's all these preparatory methods. So a witch might prepare these things, right? So they might have a poultice for, you know, a, a, a break, you know, deep bruising, all that stuff. They prepare a poultice. In the Chinese culture, this is what's known as a dit de jiao. Well, I'm sorry, not a poultice. Um, a poultice would be still considered a poultice, but it would be um, 
they would crush it up and put it in like a like a cheesecloth, and then you would wrap that around the wound. I mean, you could do that as well in Eastern culture, but they had similar ideas of traditional Chinese medicine using herbs and liniments to make a poultice. Then you would have what's known as a tincture. That wasn't what's known as a ditta jiao in uh, Chinese herbal medicine. It just goes on and on. You have, you have all of these qualities. So whereas in traditional Chinese medicine, you would have these people in, in the culture, in the community, practicing these herbal remedies, and they were like, you know, doctors and, and people of, of import, herbal medicine practitioners. In the European culture, we called them witches. And because there was no formality to the training. In fact, we had the whole, like, let's hide the reality from humanity. Let's hide the books. Let's, you know, tell people, no, you know, you, you, only the church can practice these things. Only the church can practice a miracle. Yeah, I know I stand on the soapbox all the time. I'm going to try to avoid it. It's not going to happen, though. You know it won't. Um, but that's what witches did. Witches brewed potions. Okay, so a witch's brew is just the is, is, is a tea. So you have the poultice and then you have a brew. There's an in-between between the, the poultice and the, the tincture. The poultice is the herbal application just mashed up in the mortar and pestle applied to the wound or the break or whatever. Then from there, you could boil those things and make an a herbal tea and you could drink that. Now, certain things shouldn't be boiled and drank, so it was important that the witch knew, okay, well, obviously, don't give them hemlock. That's a bad idea. Um, so you get a witch's brew. Once the witch's brew is bottled, you get a potion because it can be drank. It's, it, you drink the potion, right? So one thing the witch might do is put the potion in a bottle with a little stopper and put it around a necklace. Now you have a charm. See where this is going? But there was an important factor here. The important factor was the intention behind the actions. We have words for these. In fact, the alchemical system gives it all words. It's specific vernacular. But the intention was to help. So witches did. Now I'm sure, yes, there was bad witches, whatever. You can get into that all the day long. That conversation still occurs in today's age with, you know, what, what's a white witch? What's a, a dark witch? You know, it's never ending. Light and dark. Fight it out. But these were people practicing medicine, if you will, outside of the realm of, of normal structure. You know, no one was paying their tithe. No, no witch was paying their tithe because they believed... This stuff came from the land. The story of Robin Hood is the story of that. The, you know, Robin Hood and the, the merry, you know, fellowship in the woods, living on the land of King George and not paying taxes. And that's the story of witches and wizards. <laughs> like it, it all just kind of comes together in that sense. These are people who are living off the land, practicing herbal medicine. Okay. So, with that, though, that witch's potion that you might put around on a necklace becomes an amulet or a charm. Why is that important? It's the same as an affirmation. It's the same as a prayer. It's, the, it's giving the intention substantiality, putting it into reality. So 
yes, you could drink the potion or you could wear the charm or the necklace. It was putting in the forefront of the mind. Where does that take us? Well, it takes us to wizards and witch, uh, wizardry and sorcery. And we have a whole bunch of the schools that come out in that. But that's where ceremonial magic comes in, right? So why is that important? Asking why questions here. So why, spiritual question, why is it important? Because I talked about passion, episode 49, two episodes. Passion is the idea of suffering, being willing to suffer. This is transmutation in alchemy. There, You can never get out more than is put in. That's the laws of alchemy. Um, they made an entire anime about it called Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> um, but the, the idea of transmutation is you must put, there's something, something has to go into the equation. That's effort in some cases. So you have things like in alchemy, we talk about having to collect the morning's dew. That is to leave, that leave specific panes of glass uh, cleaned with a specific type of water to, and then dried that will collect the dew of the morning on the glass and then to bottle that um, do into a some sort of specific glass jar. That's the, collect the morning's dew to um, harvest or not harvest uh, to collect a. I mean, there's certain things you could harvest too, but to collect a. Um, oh, I don't even know. There's all sorts of things that would go into what's considered a spell or a ritual. You know, the feather of a crow that has one leg. You know crazy ridiculous stuff like this part of that is the effort that goes into finding these things and collecting these things that's magic right and so there's intention magic has intention so do words and words shape our intentions so words and action build this idea of ceremonial magic picking out specific verbiage and wordage to use in a spell specific specific drawings or symbols that means intention that give that give intention to things that give them focus right this is what builds these ideas of called sigils um which is where we get chaos magic from which is something i've studied a great deal of the idea of building a sigil is both a representation of the intention of the of the wielder or the caster or the the carrier, but also a, a, a removing from mind and putting into physicality, putting into reality. So that word sigil, you can have a magical sigil. You could also have a house sigil, a symbol representation of a house. And that house may have been, you know, the house of X or the house of blank, fill in the blank. And they, they, represented something so you may have the house of the jailers or the house of orders uh, orders and they represent a specific you know idea um maybe they were some sort of you can have the order of something the order of smithies uh the smithers the you know those who smith things that like kind of think of it like you know ancient um I don't want to say like, um, no, nah, it's a poor representation. I won't use that. I was going to say teamsters, but it's not really that way. Um, but organizations that represented a certain thing, they could have a sigil that represented them. Like, oh, if you see this sigil, you know, it's the order of this, right? It's like branding and marketing. Branding and marketing are the modern versions of sigils. Like when you see Coke, you're like, oh, hey, it's a Coke. 
I know what a Coke is. Coke represents this. Oh, hey, it's a Pepsi. Hey, a Pepsi represents this. You see that, that's branding, right? So if there's another word right there, branding. What does branding mean? Branding comes from the idea of creating a sigil, a representation of a house, a, 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 a people or a, 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 a family into a, a specific, easy to see, easy to represent thing, a picture, graph, and then heating it up and branding something with it. Sigils, right? Well, in Chaos Magic, you take an intention and you turn it into a sigil. And then you do something with that sigil. So it's taking something out of the mind, making it physical into reality, and then doing something with it. Typically burning it or forgetting it or, you know, dunking it in water, whatever the spell or casting may call for, or, you know, wearing it on oneself or giving it to someone else. That's where you get sigils or charms of protection. What's what what's the meaning there, right? That's that's the real question. What's the meaning there? Why would why why question spiritual question? Why would someone do that? Because it's magic. What does that mean, Phil? Look at words, right? I talked about Kodadama. Words have power. The word curse. To curse someone was to verbalize the thing that someone wanted to happen to someone. And typically it had a negative connotation. So you would curse them. I curse you. We've brought that into modern society of like, you know, oh, you know, like in the film, like they're like, I curse your name. That's the action described. What is a curse? The curse someone would cast, quote unquote, would be to say, I curse your name. And then to repeat over and over again, I wish death and mayhem and destruction upon them. I, and you would list out the things that you wanted to. So you were bringing your visual, your imagination. Remember, I talked about imagination back in episode 40 and why it is so important to spirituality and humanity as a whole. You would bring your imagination and you would describe it. You would give it representation. Well, what makes that important? Verbalization. What is verbalization? Frequency. Vibration. The names of the gods, when spoken in the dialect in which they are a part of, gave feeling to things, gave meaning to things. That, that, that vibration of words, the sounds we make, gave things power. So, stepping again, I'm, I'm now I'm jumping back and forth here, but that same idea that there's this vibration when we when we speak it into existence, right? Even just look at the Christian God spoke it into existence, right? That idea is taking things in imagination, which imagination is a spiritual practice of ours. We, we dream things up in the mind and then we can bring them into the, the reality or we can send them up to the other. In Chinese healing, there's what's known as the, um, oh man, I keep blanking on stuff. I apologize. The healing words, or not healing words, healing sounds, 
right? The vibratorial sounds we can make. That's in Chinese culture. In Ayurvedic culture, we have the sounds the shocker makes. Om. Going up, you know, we can we do, you know, the ohm sound is the most common, but each chakra has a sound. Okay, well, there's that. There's the Chinese sounds. You know, we have the and, you know, all these different sounds that have a healing idea in the Japanese culture. Going back to the martial arts practices, we have haya. We have those and where to put the vibration and how those, um, the different words or sounds of power jump all the way back to, um, actually jump all the way over to sovereign Americans, Native Americans, drumming, jump that to the Druidic orders, drumming, you know, bring that into the Nordic orders, drumming, chanting, and all these things build together and then circle back into the European area. And, you know, we, we, we well, I mean, we can jump down to the musical ideas and the chanting ideas of Africa and in Egypt and, and South America with the ritual chantings and shamanic drummings into the European world of a curse. Later used in that the vibratorial state I'm talking about. Later used in Mozart's music, in Chopin's music. You know the the chord of C, which we've now changed. I know it sounds like a conspiracy, but we've actually changed the frequency representation of the chord C in modern music. That's why modern music sounds very dead and lifeless, and it all sounds the same. It has no emotion or feeling to it because we have these things called frequencies. We have we can jump forward into more modern ideas of what's known as binaural beats, isochronic beats, um, the frequency patterns of the human system, and, and how our patterns, the our brain waves. So we have. Let's just go over the the big ones here. We have alpha, beta. I'm sorry, alpha, beta. Yeah, alpha, beta, theta, and delta. To just go over the the easy ones. Just talking about the, we'll go really easy and just talk about delta and theta. Theta is like our dreamy states. It's somewhere from three or four to seven to eight hertz. And then we have delta, which is like deep, like sleep, like, you know, non-REM sleep. That's from uh, point, well, some say point zero one, but point one to, or zero to uh, about, about three to four hertz. Those are our brainwave patterns. We can measure those oscillation patterns. We have Inside of that, we have sound. Sound has its own vibratorial state. That's where we have hertz, the hertzian frequency scale gives us all this. We have light, the light scale on the hertzian frequency. You have infrared, ultraviolet, you know, the, the visual spectrum and how sound and, and light, it's this vibratorial state. Well, what is vibratorial state? It's a frequency. Everything has a frequency because everything is light. That is the truest statement of magic. Everything is light. What that make? Why does that make this all come together? Top line definition of magic: the use of means such as charms or spells or incantations or sigils or music or chanting or just beating on a drum or cursing or 
healing sounds or use of herbal remedies or go on and on and on and on and on. Use of means of those things believed to have supernatural power over natural forces. Everything is light-based. You live in a world of hard light. It's called the materium. You can touch it. It's in front of you, your phone, your desk, other people, car, hamburger, zucchini. These are all functions of what's known as hard light, the organization or order of light. Because everything has frequency. Top to bottom, everything is frequency. We live in an electric universe by that nature. Electricity is the opposite of the dielectric. You know, so when the dielectric plane crosses, magnetism and dielectric cross, we get electricity. It gives us frequency. That's where light comes from, is the crossing of the dielectric and magnetic plane. We don't have to see it. We we use the light to define the idea of the things we see with our rods and cones and our eyes, but everything is light. It all has frequency. It all is some sort of, of magnetical procession with the dielectric to make up light. That's magic. Magic is a deeper understanding of these things. So when we go back to talking about a curse, and I know I'm everywhere on this, and I know these are huge circles I'm trying to big back together, but when we talked about a curse, when you say, I curse thee name, I curse thee family, I curse this day. That's the description of what they just did. We don't talk about is what happened before that. They listed off over and over and over again some sort of depiction of the imaginary imaginary lights inside their head, the making up the images or the ideas or the understandings of what they wanted to happen, and they repeated it over and over and over and over again. The opposite of that is known as an affirmation to do it in a positive light. It curses in a negative light. Thus, it is the function of intention. And what did I call self-awareness? Self-awareness is the attention to intentions towards the self, the combination of the body, the mind, and the spirit. So a curse had power. Now one could wear a charm or a sigil of protection. So a curse might rebound. So when someone would curse someone and they would repeat it over and over and over again, they were trying to bring into reality their understanding of reality. Now, if the other person's mind or, you know, if the other person's understanding of reality was more powerful, known as willpower, they could deflect that curse or, or spell or whatever it might be. So you might go to the witch's house, the one at the end of the block that everybody kind of was hush-hush about, and you would knock three times, and you would explain to the witch, you know, this is my problem I'm having. My neighbor is, you know, just cursing me constantly, and I'm having bad days, and, oh, here, wear this charm or this amulet, or wear this potion around your neck. And the potion was intention. So the po- the the witch would go to their their witch's brew, their, and they would brew a potion of protection. And they would use things like, I don't know, cedar bark. And they would use 
um, some black salt or they would use whatever had a functional understanding of or whatever symbolized protection. And they would make a brew out of it. And then they would put that brew in a bottle and they would make the person wear that. Or they would fashion together, you know, specific metals or things into a charm that the person could wear on their neck. And so the person would believe or feel that they were protected. There's no difference in this than someone wearing a cross around their neck or wearing a cross on a bracelet that they were, you know, to symbolize that they were protected by their God. There was no difference in this than someone putting a figure of Thor and Freya and Odin in their home making an altar or of Hermes and um, Aphrodite or Zeus or Poseidon or Thoth or um, Sect or Basat, uh, Basat, sorry. Um, you know, pick a culture, <laughs> Amaterasu or um, uh Wow, how, can I, how am I blanking on his brother? <laughs> Susano. Um, you know, like these things provided a feeling of protection and thus you had mental fortitude. So what does that all come together to look like? If someone were to curse someone, they would do it verbally out loud and bring that into reality, right? And if the other person would hear that, they might have those thoughts. What does a curse look like in modern society? So I'm going to bring this full circle for you. Oh, look at that fat person. Look at that ugly person. Those are curses. Look at that poor person. Oh, you're an idiot. Those are curses. That's what a curse is. It's something to make you believe a reality someone else created and then it seeps in and then it leaks into your depression. You depress it into your mind. You take on someone else's reality of you and you stop being yourself and then bad things occur. Bad things happen. So you just blame it on the curse and then they just keep happening because things happen in cycles. So go back over the cards that I pulled the king of swords does not speak unless they've specifically chosen their words correctly to represent their intention, what they're trying to say. The judgment card. There's more. It's not just about being judged. It's that there could be something judging you. There could be outside forces to be aware of them, to pay attention Act rightly. The Ace of Wands. You have power. You've been gifted power. You've been given the ability to make things happen. The Wheel of Fortune. Things are cyclical. And if you don't pay attention, you will just get caught up in the cycle. The witch's brew, the witch's potion, the witch's charm, the sorcerer's spell, the wizard's incantation, 
were actions to break those things, to break the cycle, break the, the curse, break away from the understanding that you weren't good enough, that you couldn't do something, that you were ugly, that, you know, you weren't normal. And thus, those types of people were the people who sought these people out. So, of course, the aristocratic society, of course, the kings and queens, of course, the, you know, upper echelons would want a witch hunt, would want wizardry to only be in their court, to only have the sorcerers that they trained, to only have priests of the priesthood that they controlled. Of course, they would want these things because they wanted to take it away from us, from the modern citizen, from the average citizen, from just the citizenry. And thus they cast their own ritual spells and they did their own things. That's what these crazy societal structures we talk about do. And in fact, it's so broad and ever present that no one, in my personal opinion, of import or power are not involved in it. No one, everyone's involved. Everyone. So when you don't believe in this thing known as magic, when you don't believe that there is this thing where words and language can have power, you're immediately at a disadvantage because there are individuals sitting in their ivory towers right now, getting together and doing ritualistic magic meetings behind closed doors where they do terrible evil things and they don't even have to be that terrible or that evil but they try to bring their reality into existence by diminishing others and thus they curse the world they just don't call it that stuff there's even complete societal uh, groups that have to in some way let the public know what they're trying to do or, or they believe their rituals will fail I'm not going to get into all of the nuances there because it's a little too deep. It's a little too dark for right now. But yeah, that exists. There's all sorts of people constantly doing rituals and spells, affirmations. It's ever present in our lives and it has been forever. The act of people getting together in a church is a ritual ceremony. A wedding is a ceremony. It's a ritualistic ceremony. Everyone wishes well. They want to bring, they, they all come together to bring that collection of that imagination of we wish the bride and groom well. We want them to have prosperity. And, you know, and that's, that's, it's always been like that. There's always been these symbolic representations. Symbols are magic. They're ever present. We use them now in marketing. And that's why I say you're always in war. There's always this state of warfare, be it for your attention or your monetary ideas. You're at war. And the most original wars were fought through wizardry and witchery and, 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 and spellcraft and sorcery. That's how we fought our wars. That's why the shaman was so important. That's why the druid of the, of the circles were so important. That's why the elder of the community was so important. That's why the wise ones, the every name you could possibly think of throughout all of history, the, you know, witch doctors, the, all of these things that we've now give this like mystical, magical 
D&D fantasy realm, you know, that comes from reality. There is true magic in this world. The truest magic comes from the understanding that you are your own person. And you get to decide the things you do. You have what's known as free will. Free will was the most powerful of all magics that was ever created, ever understood. It was the ability to perform magic. And that's why I say this is idea of magic, however you want to spell it or however you want to think about it, is so important to who we are as a people, to the idea of humanity. We are able to perform magic. Magic is the controlling of light. Controlling of frequency. Without it, we've never, we would have never invented some of the things we have today. That's why a great saying often quoted is any sufficiently advanced technology is no different than or is akin to magic. A lighter would be magic in ancient society. Much like go really far back. I don't think it would be that important to the medieval times. People were like, oh, that's fucking cool. I don't think they would necessarily think it's magic. They had lamps. They had oil lamps. They knew how to carry a flame around. Yeah, the little spark. Like they would probably just see it as like, oh, that's a cool invention. You put a sparky thing next to the thing that has the fuel. They would understand that. I think we've blown that one out of proportion. You know, that whole, uh, what was that movie? A kid in King Arthur's court when he's got like the, the lighter. Um, so, but a, a phone that would probably be like a modern phone. Um, like a, like a cell phone where you could take pictures that would be considered magic. How did you stop time? That would be, you know, you could pass that off as magical. So this grand representation, right? Of what is magic? Oh, it's for those weird people practicing like Wiccans and it's for the pagans and no, it's not okay. Sorry. It's bullshit. Bullshit. Everything's magic. It's always been magic. We're magical people. We practice magic. We have always. It's the use of words. It's oration. It's, it's talk. It's speech. It's language. It's action. It's intention. Magic is intention. Magic has no power without intention. Intentions are magic. We've used it constantly. We continue to this day. We've just lost sight of it. We've fought epic wars against it trials of the witches, the, you know, and I'm not just talking the Salem witch trials and all that stuff. There was, there was much more than that throughout all of history. Very much. So every Abrahamic religion had a mystical side to it. They're all there. The mysticism schools still exist. They just hid because of the, the, the powers of the times didn't want that information getting out to the public. So when, you know, you publish this book called The Secret and no one has any idea how to use it, even though the book itself is trying to explain it, it goes, it goes on to become a bestseller because it doesn't give the full story. It only gives a piece. 
They literally allow that exist. And I, I say they, and I mean they. They allowed that book to exist because people know how to, not many people know how to use it correctly. The secret doesn't tell you the history behind all of this. It doesn't tell you about how the universe is light-based and it has to deal with frequency and that there must be intention behind these things. Saying it out loud and not believing it doesn't mean shit. And saying it a bunch of times to get yourself to believe it also doesn't mean shit. And along with that, the universe must always seek and find balance. That's what it does. So your good fortune may be the misfortune of someone else. Seeker doesn't talk about that because they don't want you to feel that way. They don't want to be like, oh, well, if you get a million dollars, there might have to be 30 kids in poverty in another country to make up for that difference. They don't talk about that because that's not what they want you to think about when you're using their system. This is why I talked about why systems are so important all the way back in episode 12. Uh, sorry, episode 12. The magic is dangerous. And some of the greatest magic comes from the idea, and I'll give this one to... Um, um, Oh, I can't remember the, how do I not remember that name? Uh, the person who wrote the magicians, um, Les Kravitz, is it Les Kravitz? Um, I don't remember, but they kind of got this one, right? The most powerful of magic comes from dark places, comes from deep, deep, what we consider clinical depression and like, and just dark viewpoints. Um, that's, that's where it comes from. Um, like that's, 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 that's the most powerful thing. Cause if you think about it that way, right. If you think about, if you think about where, where you're the most truly you, I would argue that's depression, right? That's, that's where it comes from. It's, it's when we are in that mental state of so deeply being us. Uh, Lev Grossman, there we go. I'm sorry. It took me a second to look it up, actually. I had to look that one up. I was not going to let that one go. Um, but when we're in that deep, dark mental state and we're super focused, and then we learn how to use that focus, this is what I talk about, about using your depression. I've been teaching people about magic forever. I just don't put it in that light because people don't want to see it there. They don't want to talk about it there. They don't want to feel like, oh, I'm doing something evil because we've given magic that connotation. I'm sorry. It's fucking bullshit. We've been practicing magic as a society, as a culture, as a, as a, as a human being forever. It is weaved into our DNA because our DNA has a frequency. Is the substantiality of light. We are magical creatures. And we've lost our history. So we don't understand it well. Because when you get to that deep, 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 dark motivation point, you can do anything. And that's what the secret doesn't tell people is... Those individuals who have the most drive, motivation, and manifest the most are those who become the most self-centered, 
things that we kind of warn about. This is where we get the idea of dark magics, of dark magicians, of dark witches. The secret wants you to manifest for yourself everything you could possibly imagine. That comes at a cost. There's a cost to everything. Alchemy warns us of that. So the secret's only one piece of an equation that no one wants to talk about. That's an ugly truth no one wants to deal with. That's not to say don't use affirmations, don't use positive thinking, don't use, just measure yourself. You know, if you want to be the world leader, if you want to dominate the world, there's some bad shit that's going to come along with that. This is where we have all of these teachings that go along with the schools and history of magic to control them to control intention, to make one aware of it. In fact, the first schools of magic, the mystery schools in and of themselves, the schools of magic, start with understanding yourself. Start with the world of the major arcana, the story of the fool. These are all schools of self-awareness. The school of magic Anyone you pick is a school of self-awareness. That's why martial arts are magic. They're magic schools. Self-discipline. Self-action. Self-righteousness. Honor. Courage. Right action. Right speech. All of these things. Living in the uh, light of God. Acting as Jesus would upholding the five pillars of Islam. The tenets of Noah. Ten Commandments. All of these things are to substantiate but be careful with magic. The Nordic Berserker. You couldn't just be a berserker. Berserkers found their power from something. They gained power from something. We mysticize this idea of what the berserker was. A berserker was an individual who couldn't fight in the shield wall. Couldn't, I say that specifically, couldn't fight in the shield wall. It didn't fit them. They weren't able to protect the person to their right and to their left. They weren't able to continuously fight in action with someone else next to them and the others around them in conjoinment. They were considered a berserker. The berserker also found power in something or took power from something. Typically, a berserker took a shitload of mushrooms before the fight and they went berserk. So they were in a hallucinogenic state of mind, drawing a power from something else be it from Thor, you know, did Odin, it, you know, typically it was Thor because, you know, God of War. Um, although that Thor is not specifically the God of War. Thor is the God of Thunder. There is a God of War. Um, I won't get into all that right now. It's too complicated. <laughs> I'm getting too deep as it is. But that was the idea of the Berserker. The Berserker went out of their mind and part of that was to believe that they were 
empowered by something else and thus to impose that reality upon their, their foe. And they would do it wildly and viciously. So of course you would be like, Oh, fucking fight that person. Look at that person's crazy and going to kill me. Like get away. Later you have the Christian berserkers, individuals who thought they were so empowered by the word of God that if they saw someone of pagan nature, they would kill them on sight. It was a death wish to, to be a pagan in a Christian community that had berserkers. You had a death wish because if you walked among them, that berserker felt it was completely within their right to strike you down. And the laws were rewritten at the time to allow that to happen. In the Roman Legion, the, the legionary fought with shield and sword in a specific formation. That's what made Rome such a powerhouse was their combative nature inside of the shield formations or just formations in general and their control of the battlefield. You had individuals who fought outside of that. These were your gladiators. These were the, not the Roman centurion, Centurion was the leader of the battalion. But outside of that, you had individuals that didn't fit that, that formation. And so you had the saboteur, which well later became the saboteur. Individuals who fought outside of that. In the Japanese realm of things, you had the warrior who fought outside of the samurai formations. We often call these the ninja, <laughs> although ninja comes from a domestic idea of individuals who were fighters of the land. Uh, they use the land and the, that all to their, um, the ninja were essentially farmers who learned, well, that's not true. The ninja were farmers who fought, but they were also individuals who fought specifically for their land and knew the terrain and would hide at night and use specific weaponry that weren't allowed to them by the Shogunite because to have a sword with not being a samurai was a death sentence. Anyway, very complicated. Um, but you had these individuals who fought for something greater than themselves that empowered them to do that. And thus you have these amazing mythological stories behind them. There's no difference between that and the stories of the gods. These are stories of magic, of intention. There's no difference in that than the stories of great creators, of artists, of even great rulers. There, you know, you know, I often talk badly about the higher ups and the aristocratic nature and the and the kings and the queens. They weren't all terrible. Most of the ones that took over power were because you think about, let's, let's think about it from this regard, right? So if, if intentions are magic, right? If that's, if that's what we want to go with, then the most evil practitioners of magic were those individuals who killed their family members to take over reign of a country or a nation or a people. That's all throughout history. Someone who would kill to take over. Someone who would commit regicide or, you know, like... Those are the people we idolize that. Unfortunately, we've made that like, Oh, the, Oh yeah, the strongest. Yeah. They killed that person. Let's put them in charge. Um, Hmm. These would have been known as dark magicians. 
They were individuals who didn't mind people suffering. They didn't mind killing people. They didn't mind doing no mind. They didn't mind. That's problematic. That's dark magic. That's bad magic. That's terrible ceremonial magic. And it's, it's still uptaken to, to this day. You know, if there's a sacrifice in a ritual, it's probably, it's probably not great. And I'll say that goes all the way back to the pagans and the Wiccans and, you know, like sacrificial magic means there's an intention of something that's very powerful because they're willing to kill for it. Even if it's killing a bird or even if it's killing a pig or a sheep, they're still willing to kill for it. Now, I've gone all over the place. Left, right, center, up, down, northwest. Sigils, charms, potions, witches, wizards, magic, words. What's the takeaway? Right? What's the takeaway? What, what's the big picture when it comes to magic? Pay attention. Pay attention. Just start paying attention. Pay more attention. That's what magic, the, the art, art of magician, of, of, of magistry, is to pay attention. Sleight of hand only works if you're not paying attention. Spellcasting only works if you're not paying attention. The potion only works if you do pay attention. What is self-awareness? Attention to intentions of the self, the body, mind, and spirit. What is magic? Attention to intentions of nature and those who wield it. We are wielders of nature. We have been for a very long time. We wield the powers of nature. We harvest the wind, the sun, the rain, rivers, wood, stone, mineral. Alchemy is magic. Science is magic. They are systems of magic. Some systems of magic work better than others. But they're all magic because even imagination is magic. That's why magic is both definable and undefinable. It's a principal idea. It is a coin conceptual, but more than that, it's a specific understanding that there is something bigger, something more powerful, something we can't quite grasp, but we strive to understand. There is a spark. There is life. There's meaning, representation. That's what words do. And not just verbal words. We have other language. Words are just a version of it. So that's what language does. That's what language is. Language is magic. It's kodama. Soul of language, the spiritual the spirit of language, the power of language, the power of words. And because we have many languages, we have many magical expressions. 
the King of Swords often forgets about those other languages. So yes, the King of Swords speaks specifically and only speaks when they, they mean to speak. And thus it has great power. But they forget how that might affect someone emotionally or even physically or, or, or spiritually or they forget that it may affect multiple things. It may affect others, really. They forget that that might happen. So the judgment card, the judgment reminds us that, no, wait a minute, there is something bigger. It's, it's, it's broad. It's, it's out there. It's, it's other. And that other, that other spiritual thing is culture, right? I've talked about how culture is spiritual, but it's connection. And it's, it's more than just nature and us and us and nature and us and us and nature and nature. It's more than all of that. It is squaring the circle using a triangle to square a circle. That's alchemy. And it's more than just the base pieces. It's the pieces we don't know about. It's the new discoveries. It's, it's ever present as imagination, right? But there's also the ace of wands. There's this gift. And the gift was magic. We were given magic. Fire was magic. Harnessing nature to keep us warm. Oxygen and fuel burning, creating heat, allowing us to cook, allowing us to heat our homes and, and, and stay, you know, safe from animals and predators by wielding fire and building industry and, and everything that's ever come from it. That was magic. That's why all the myths talk about it. That's why all the pantheons have someone who provided people with magic. Odin brought magic to his people. He gave up his left eye for, I believe it's the left. If I have that wrong, I'm ashamed of myself. Um, but Odin gave up an eye to be given all of the knowledge there ever was and will be. Odin was given magic so that he could bring it back to his people to lead them through the, uh, the ice of not damnation, but the, the, the frozen uh, abyss that, in which they lived upon to, to, to save the clan, essentially. Mul I mean, there's just constant stories of a thing called magic. So we also have, you know, yeah, we have the Ace of Wands, we, you know, this gift. And then we have the Wheel of Fortune. We have the cycles we have the not paying attention to getting caught up in it, to being cursed and just revolving in that constantly. You can curse yourself. Just like you can give yourself an affirmation. You can give yourself a defamation. This is balance. This is, this is the thing the secret doesn't talk about that. There is this thing known as balance. If it works one way, it works the other way too. So you got to be careful, but you have to have attention to the intentions. You have to have awareness. But you can practice magic. And it doesn't have to be sinister. It doesn't even have to be... What, it doesn't have to have any connotation. You simply need to know that everything you do has a power to it. Where that power comes from is completely up to you. 
what or who gives you that power, that's, that's up to you. I've said before, I just don't believe in the organized religions because they took this idea away from people. Where the power comes from, that's not up to me to decide. That is for up to you to decide. That is the beauty of magic. It's there. We get to use it. Get to enjoy it. Get to share it. Kodadama. Language. The power of language. The power of words. Spirit. The animating or vital principle in all organisms. The supernatural being or essence. The immaterial intelligence. Special attitude or frame of mind. These are all definitions, by the way. Magic. The use of means, such as anything I just said. To have super, to believe to have supernatural power over natural forces. Is imagination not the greatest form of magic because imagination gives us invention. Archimedes was an inventor, was a magician. And some of our greatest moments come from our darkest places. We just get stuck in the darkness. So we forget to draw it. We forget to write it. We forget to, to jot it down. We forget that these ideas that we have in our darkest moments, the deepest places of our psyche, this in which we call depression, are the most magical things we do. But we connotate. We say, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's from a dark place. A bad place. It can't be right can't be good. Can't use that. When in fact, if we just remove that connotation and we sit and we realize and we say, man, I have cried all fucking day and I'm just so worn out and I'm so tired and I, and I can't do this anymore. We just cast one of the most powerful spells in our repertoire. We have gone from want to necessity. We have told the universe, the world, we have told our cat, we have told the blanket, we've told the pillow, we have told the materium, the light all around us. We can't do this anymore. Something must change. There must be something that becomes different. There must be action and I will bring it forth. I will cast upon this world my will, my power, because you're a magician. And thus, you can act. You can make change happen. Because God fucking, God's fucking damn it, creation was not the first piece, chaos was. And I will go down with that ship at this point because everyone needs to understand that creation was the lie. It was the point which, in which they said, nothing came before this. This is where things started. And that's not true. The truth is everything is infinite possibility at all times. We call it chaos. And thus the chaos magician learns the thing I've studied my entire life almost since I was a wee little lad was chaos. And that the magic comes from it, that it is the wielding of possibility. And thus the chaos magician can be and not be 
and will and not will and this or that, light or dark, it doesn't matter anymore because it's infinitely possible and thus the chaos magician can create. We create the sigil. We create the wording. We create the verbiage, the spell, the incantation, the charm. We create because that's magic. That's what we do. We are creators. We create our reality. And as soon as you come to grips with that, you can sit in your dark moment, in the pool of your own tears, the wishing for the release of whatever that deepest, darkest place looks like to you. And we can say, not today, not today. Today I'm going to go to bed and tomorrow I'm going to change the world. And that might look very simple to some, but very massive to you. That might look like sleeping for 12 hours, waking up, putting the load of laundry in and going right back to bed. And then waking up eight hours after that and eating a, eating a meal that makes you feel good. Maybe it's just fucking ice cream. I don't know. And cleaning the room. And then opening the shades in the morning. And then getting a shower. Brushing our teeth. Getting on our phone. Curling back up in bed. And looking for a new job. Or texting a friend. And saying, hey. Um, I just need somebody to listen. And then taking control of that situation and casting the spell upon that person to say, hey, I really don't need input. What I need is someone to listen. And when I'm ready, I'll tell you when I'm ready for you to give me your input. And I might tell you to fuck off because I maybe I don't want to hear it yet. But that's magic. The understanding that chaos, chaos comes first. Chaos is infinite possibility. It's the most beautiful thing in all of the world, all of the universe, is this thing known as chaos, infinite possibility. What's the, what's the balance to infinite possibility? Infinite possibility. That's how unfathomable it is because it's infinite. Inf the balance to infinity is infinity. They just keep going in opposite directions in all points. That's what the chaos symbol represents. That comes first. And we are children of chaos. We are all magical beings. And that's where my study of magic has taken me. That's where my study of magic has brought me to. And yes, there are amazing historical references and all sorts of different schools of practice. And yes, there are weird things like demonology and getting into the Solomonic um, practices. And there's these weird culty people who practice these horrible traditions of uh, sacrificial ceremonial magic. And there are people to be worried about in the world that believe in, you know, adrenal chronine and all of these other sacrificial ideas. And 
the, the, the essentially warmongers that run the world who are trying to sacrifice people constantly by starting these fucking stupid wars that mean nothing just so people die so they can cast their spells so that they can feel important and then they can empower themselves to do things but they have to publish their works in public agenda so that people know what's happening because if they don't do that they're worried that it'll fail because if people don't know then there's no power to it because that's how subversion works is to tell something someone you're going to do something and then to, to them believe that you're not going to do it but you do it anyway so that they did know and then it did happen to them so they eventually gave up all their power because it did actually happen to them without them understanding that it was happening to them and yes i'm rambling because it gets that complicated that exists and that's why we must be attentive to intentions because the world is a magical place and people are practicing magic all the time. And there are some very powerful people out there practicing some fucked up magic. So we cry and we go to our dark place. And then instead of the world collapsing in on itself, it explodes outward. Because that's the beauty of infinite possibility. The world can become infinitely tiny and infinitely big. That is chaos. And thus I've practiced, not, I mean, I guess I could say I practice, but I've studied chaos magic for a very long time. I just studied the overarching idea of magic because it is part of our culture. It's part of our spirituality. It's part of our humanity to practice these things. I guess I should, I should sum up with some ideas. What ideas should we sum up with? Let's look at the cards, right? Let's look at the warnings from these cards. I think that's a, an interesting thing to do with the tarot deck is yes, to divine and to, to, to come up with some idea that the cards are trying to tell you, but every card comes with a warning. And I think one of the most important things you can do with a tarot deck is they have this thing called a reversed card. So if a card comes out of the deck reverse, which means it's upside down, um, it's a warning of sorts. But I think every card comes with a warning all the time because it is dualistic. It's, it's Trinity. There's all, it's a, the card is a measurement. The card is both the warning and the advice at the same time, always. So I think it's important to look at some of the warnings. And I'm actually going to have to get my book out to do this. So bear with me one second as I look up the first one, the King of Swords. The warnings that come along with the King of Swords have to do with snobbiness, paranoia, judgmental ideas, controlling, cruelty, meanness. Are you being any one of these things? Something to pay attention to, right? What about towards yourself? Remember, this is about self-awareness and mental health and spirituality. Are you being mean to yourself? Are you being snobbish to yourself? Are you paranoid about yourself, judgmental, controlling towards yourself? Might want to look at that, right? Let's look at uh, the judgment card. That's a big one. The judgment card is asking us... Oh, one too many. One too many. There it is, the judgment card. Towards the edge of the end of the arcana. Uh, warnings on the judgment card. Uh, am I ignoring what I should be doing? Uh, am I, am I not paying attention? Am I, um, am I justifying things by doing something opposite than like what I feel is right? Am I, am I trying to be that way to more, towards myself? That's a good one. What, uh, what's the ace of wands here? What's the ace of wands warning? The ace of wands warning is bear with me. 
Is there a missed opportunity, a delay or, or dissatisfaction happening in your life right now? Is there, you know, like, is that, are you just not heeding what's happening? Uh, and then finally, the Wheel of Fortune, another major arcana card here towards the beginning of the major arcana, or kind of in the middle, I guess. Um, are you stuck? What patterns keep happening over and over again, right? That's how you use something like the secret, asking those questions and then applying it to it, right? So that last one, the Wheel of Fortune, um, you know, what cycles am I stuck in? What, what, what patterns keep happening to me? affirmations might get you out of that. So the affirmation doesn't have to be, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to have a sweet fucking car and you know, I'm going to be amazing. No, the affirmation could be simply a reminder because that's really what they're supposed to be used for. Just like the charm or the potion or the uh, incantation or the necklace are supposed to be a reminder to be attentive. You could ask yourself, um, Am I doing destructive things? To, is this action I keep doing destructive? Is smoking the cigarette really doing anything for me? Is it helping me? Is it giving me a, a immediate reaction, but also causing a, a harm in the end? That, that's what you got to do to quit smoking. That's the question you got to ask yourself. Is that cigarette worth it? Can you go a little longer? Do you really need it? How is this really helping you? Is this making it worse? Is this a crutch? The cyclical nature, you know, when we look at our relationships of like, when you hang out with people, did you really have a good time? Do you feel good about yourself? Is this making you feel bad about yourself? Does drinking really make you happy? Like just drinking regularly, do anything for you? Could you be doing something better? Are you just getting yourself stuck in these situations over and over again? Do you keep finding yourself in abusive relationships? What decisions are getting you there? I know that's some, that's some big shit. That's some tough stuff. Magic can help you figure it out. That's how these systems work. And here's something I'll finish off with. Magic is a very personal endeavor. Be it your religion, your faith, or remember, no organized religion. Create your own. Um, own understanding. Your regular activity of your spirituality. I'll put it that way. It's solely yours. The idea of big magic is communal. No one in the history of all magic has ever been more powerful than a group. Do whatever you want with that statement, but in order for someone to gain more power than another, they either have to have a, a battle of wills or use more people. This is why paying attention to organizations is very important because they are the biggest wielders of magic. You can counteract this by community, family, things I talk about that I don't have any association with. I have no family. I don't interact with them, but I talk about that idea. It's important. It's important. It's power in a name, right? Family all share one name. It's important. 
might also be important to look at that association and that recognize and then recognize that wait a minute. Do I have the same beliefs here? Do I associate with this correctly? Am I associating with, that's why these things are questions. These things are, you know, and the answers could be awesome and amazing. And again, I'm really happy for you. Or I don't really do happy, but that's awesome for you. Like, I'm not saying like, go see, fuck your family. Like, no, if it works for you, that's great. Celebrate that. That's great. But don't not ask the questions. Don't not look at, you know, don't not be aware. It's the art of magic. Be magical. Be ma- I guess that's I mean I guess that's how I leave it. Be magical. Go be magical. You're a magical being. Go be magical. And next episode, I don't know what the topic is, but next episode is my 52nd episode. It's my one year episode. I've been doing this for one year. Who knows if I got anywhere? I think I did. I feel like I did. Um cast some magical spells along the way, perform some magical experiments. Uh, one of those is the tarot deck. Having a lot of fun with that. But uh, yeah, so I'm excited for that one. Come check us out uh, at TammyHendrances.com. Check out the archive. Maybe I'll put some resources in there about magic. Who knows? Um, what else? If you want to support the podcast, because i got to remember to say this, if you want to support the podcast, head over to PureBulk.com and use code TamingHindrances for 10% off. Uh, I get a small commission in all sales. They have some great products. They're great people. Some would say they're magical. Uh, that's it. Come join me on the 52nd episode and I'll hopefully have some cool topic to talk about. Although I don't know if I'll be able to top this one. And I, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm lagging here on the outro because I don't feel like I did this enough justice. There's so much to unpack with this idea of magic that I, I can't say enough. That's the, that's the, that's the truth. There's, I can't say enough because that's how interwoven into our, our reality and our history. It is. So that's why I say like, go be magical. Cause you're a fucking magical creature. Happy casting. <laughs> I'll catch you on the next one. Take care. Uh, and please listen to the outro. Do remember to breathe. Breathing is also magical. Take care. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.